Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything is Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Pastor, how are you tonight? Good. Good. We are just at the close of a fantastic, beautiful spring day. So, oh, good. Good to hear. Uh, Feels like, like summer down here. Yeah, we're at 60 degrees today, 15 Fahrenheit. I mean, Ooh. 15 centigrade, 60 Fahrenheit. So, that sounds wonderful. And you're in the 80s, are you? Uh, we were at 90 today. Oh, no, I'll take my day. <laughs> yeah, I would too, to be honest. First time in five months. but <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's good. It's okay. Well, we're back for another Lenten devotion. Again, continuing our series on the passion narrative from the uh, the pastor's agenda or this, this LSB service book, uh, whatever it's called. Whatever it's called. <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> It's it's in, it's in a, it, the agenda. We can call it that. But it's interesting. The word Lent comes from an old English word, lengthen, as in lengthen. The mm. days get the days get longer during Lent, and so it's it's appropriate that as we progress through Lent, that we the days get longer, the weather gets nicer. We're we're leading. We're we're heading towards the you know hopeful time. And well, you know, Luther said with every you know newly burst leaf, we have the promise of the resurrection. Mm. It is kind of cool that our liturgical calendar follows the season in that way. You know, we're getting ready for spring and at the same time getting ready for Easter. And it's always nice when, you know, kind of what's happening outside syncs up with what's happening inside the church. Yeah. It's new. It's new lifetime. Right. It's, 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 it's rebirth. It's regeneration. It's resurrection. It's all those wonderful things. And, and God reminds us through nature that, that you know he's he's in control of our lives and he continues to give life and and in him we move and breathe and have our being and so it's right. good to be reminded of that exactly so yeah. um we're continuing our narrative from where we picked off uh, where we left off last time which was uh Jesus went on trial in front of the Sanhedrin and in tonight's reading uh, there's a second trial this time in front of the civil authorities not the religious authorities uh in the praetorium so should we go with that then? Let's begin. Yep. Okay. So the praetorium, which now that word itself, it, it basically means the headquarters of the general or it's used in a variety of ways in the classical world. But the idea of it is that it's the headquarters of the person who's in charge, right? Mm, okay. That's that's the idea. It's just a strange word. It's another one of those Bible words we, we just don't use much in, in everyday life. Right. Yeah. Right. When they had bound Jesus, they led him from Caiaphas to the Hall of Judgment and gave him over to Pontius Pilate, the governor. It was early. They themselves did not go into the judgment hall so that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Then Pilate said to him, Take him then and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. So the word of Jesus was fulfilled, signifying by what death he should die. The charges they brought against him were, 
We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Do you say this for yourself or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Do you take me for a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have given you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have fought that I should not be given over to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. I was born and I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in this man. The chief priest kept laying one charge after another against him, but he answered not a word. Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many charges they lay against you. Jesus answered him not a word. Pilate was utterly amazed. He said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no case against this man. They pressed their charges more vehemently. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. When he learned that he belonged in Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him on to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem for those days. When Herod saw Jesus, he was delighted, for he had long wished to see him because of what he had heard of him, and he hoped to see him do a miracle. He questioned Jesus repeatedly, but he gave him no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood there and vehemently accused him. Herod and his soldiers mocked him. They put a splendid robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that same day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. And there's another biblical word that we don't use much in normal speech is enmity. There was bitterness or strife or anger between the two of them until until this event took place. Would you like to uh, continue reading, Will? Sure. Be happy okay. to. Thank you. Then Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You have brought this man before me as one subverting the people. See now, I have examined him before you and have found nothing in this man guilty of any of your charges against him. And neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Mark this, he has done nothing worthy of death. I will have him punished and release him. Now at the feast, it was the governor's custom to release the, to the crowd any one prisoner whom they asked for. They had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. He was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection in the city. Pilate knew that it was out of malice that the chief priests handed Jesus over. Therefore he said to them, Do you want me to release for you Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? The chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Pilate asked them again, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they cried out altogether, saying, Away with this man, and release for us Barabbas. While Pilate was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Do not have anything to do with that man. I have suffered much over him today in a dream. Again Pilate addressed them, for he wished to release Jesus. He said to them, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? What shall I do with him whom you call the King of the Jews? They all cried out, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? 
I have found no guilt worthy of death in him. I will therefore punish him and let him go. They cried out all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers of the governor led him away into the praetorium. They gathered the whole band of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a purple robe on him. When they had woven a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt before him and mocked him saying, hail King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. They knelt down and did him homage. Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I bring him out to you that you may know I find him not guilty. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I do not find him guilty. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you? Jesus answered, you would not have any power at all over me unless it had been given to you from above. For that reason, he who handed me over to you has the greater sin. This prompted Pilate to go on trying to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the praetorium, it was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but rather a riot was underway, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this man. See to it yourselves. Then all the people responded, His blood be on us and on our children. Then Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, gave sentence that it should be as they demanded. He released to them Barabbas, for whom they asked, the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. He had Jesus flogged and then gave him over to their will to be crucified. The soldiers mocked him, stripped him of the purple robe, put his own clothes on him, and let him out to crucify him. Wow. Okay. Thank you very much. So a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, perhaps let's contextualize this with the reading that we had last week. So we have two distinct trials of Jesus happening here. Uh, the first was kind of this religious trial in front of the Sanhedrin with the scribes and the chief priests, right? Right. You get um, before Caiaphas and then a, a little larger group somewhere as the hours progressed. And then... Um, probably pretty much the full Sanhedrin early early in the morning. They, they weren't supposed to have trials at night, and they weren't supposed to uh, convict anyone or pronounce someone guilty without uh, a, night, a night passing. Mm -hmm. So if someone's before the Sanhedrin with a serious offense, that uh, they could pronounce them innocent. Mm -hmm. 
But if, if they were going to lay down a guilty verdict, they would have to wait till the next day. Just let cooler heads prevail and maybe some mercy show forth and things like that. It's, it's, mm. it's not a, a cooling off period is often a very good thing. Right. But this was rushed through. Right. And you have him questioned before KFS, then you have a, a little bit of a larger group, and then you have the larger group, and then they send him on to pilot. So right. the religious the religious part of it is is before the Sanhedrin, and now you have the civil part. And as we read last week, part of the reason they bring him to pilot to be judged is because uh, the Jews weren't allowed to put anyone to death. Is that right? Right. So they're they're governed by Rome. But Rome was pretty smart in so many of the ways they did things. They would often have um, local people continue in ruling positions because they knew the people. Why why upset mm-hmm. system works works. Their goal was to take over places and tax them and uh, inscribe them for for military service and things like that. So you have local rulers still in place. So you have local laws still in place and. In, in the case of our um, now New Testament, Old Testament believers, but now in the New Testament, that, that they were allowed to um, enact and, and, and enforce certain laws on the citizenry. But there was a limit. They couldn't execute someone. Right. And you kind of see that symbiotic relationship uh, play out in this reading. It's obvious that Pilate uh, was mindful of the pressure um, and wanted to do what the Jews ultimately wanted him to do. It was obvious that he was being pressured into that by um, their influence. But also, uh, it's obvious that uh, the Jewish people were um, kind of giving Caesar his due, right? Even saying, we have no king but Caesar. And yes. so it's obvious that that, that kind of two-way relationship is, is going on there. They're, they're, they're using each other. Right. Yeah. Sad, and, and 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 there's a victim in the midst of this, namely Jesus. Right. Yeah. And there's another interesting relationship here, and so a, a lot is happening on this morning because um, the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate, and then uh, Pilate sends Jesus to Herod, and then Herod sends him back. Right. Yes, and Herod, of course, was that client king, the Tetrarch, uh, who did rule over Galilee. So Jesus does fall under his governmental purview, if you want to say that. Right. Um, Herod's disappointed, and of course, then he sends him back to Pilate. Right, right. One thing I found kind of interesting between these two trials is the accusations against Jesus seem to change a bit from the religious trial to the civil trial. So in the religious trial, they were about, you know, um, Jesus (laughs) claiming to be the son of God and blasphemy, and then they bring him to Pilate. And suddenly it's these civil charges. He's trying to stir the people up against the government. I think one of the gospel accounts, uh, one of the accusations listed is that he was telling people not to pay taxes, which of course uh, we know that's not true because elsewhere, you know, Jesus says render to Caesar Caesar's, but you have this interesting shift in the accusations that are leveled against Jesus between these two trials. Right. And, you know, one of the accusations was, well, this man said he would destroy this temple and raise it in three days type of thing. So they were accusing him of being against the, the temple, mm-hmm. as it were. They were accusing him of claiming to be the son of God, the Messiah. And so these are, these are, ver- these are just religious problems. Right. Okay. Right. But, but you're right. By the time they get to Pilate, oh, he's, he's 
perverting the nation, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And he's 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 claiming to be a king, and he's telling us not to pay taxes, which, as you said, um, Jesus didn't say. And 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 so they they level this accusation. Well, they to Pilate they say, if you let this man go, you're not a friend of Caesar. And actually, that was so. Pilate was ruling from about 26 to 36. Then he gets called back not long after this execution of Jesus. But there, there was actually sort of a status of being a, a, a friend of Caesar. So they were actually striking a chord and, 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 and they were threatening him. Right. Basically by saying, if you don't do what we want, we're going we're gonna to tattle on you. Right, right, and, and tell Caesar that uh, that you're letting another king rule in this land. Right, so that you're not a friend of Caesar. Threat that was real. Right, so. and yeah, let's kind of focus on that accusation that you just mentioned <laughs> that Jesus is trying to set himself up as a king. So, um, as we just read, Jesus doesn't deny he's a king in front of Pilate. He uh, affirms it. Um. So this kind of gets us into the discussion of the kingship of Christ and and what that means. Uh, In this setting, it's clear that Jesus wasn't trying to set up an earthly kingdom uh, during his incarnation, during his ministry. My kingdom is not from this earth. Right, exactly. And uh, there were several instances where he could have. There were some times when uh, his followers uh, were almost demanding to set himself up as a king, right? We, we have a, a few instances in the Gospels where um, Christ's zealous followers demand that he kind of set himself up as a ruler and correct some of the evils that are going on in the land at the time. Well, yeah, and we even brushed on Peter not wanting him to be killed. Right. That that Peter probably had this expectation that the Messiah would. And, of course, the white horse theory, the Messiah comes, kicks the Romans out of their land, everything, everything's fine after that. So a lot of the people, and, and we see a bit of this, uh, you know, even on even on Palm Sunday, you know, Hosanna to the King and all that. So this, the people, well, let's be honest, who wants to be ruled by a foreign power? Mm-hmm. And and Pilate had made a, you know, a few mistakes when he came in, he set up some images of, of, of Caesar and things like that, so, which of course, these were like, to the to our Jewish friends, this was, these were, um, blasphemous images. Mm-hmm. And so he had alienated himself from them. So of course the people there didn't want to be ruled by a foreign power that didn't totally respect or get their religion. And even without that aspect, who wants to be ruled by a foreign power? Right. Yeah. Right. So of course you want the Messiah to fix that. That's, that's, that's their big burning issue. Right. The Romans. Yeah. And, and, it's kind of interesting. We we see um, kind of something similar happening in the modern church, right? Where some churches become so focused on fixing our current social woes to the neglect of the preaching of the gospel. We see that in a number of different church bodies across the, the U.S. and Canada. Uh, it's it's not a new problem, so to speak. No. So here's the thing: what's the role of the the church as an institution? It's to preach the gospel, administer the sacraments, and all of that. Right. What's the role of the Christian in society is to be a good member of society and to be helpful and to fix some of the social woes that that are are affecting your neighbor and things like that. 
Right. The, the, the lines get a little blurred though sometimes, don't they? They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Yep. You see um, some preachers from the pulpit make social injustice one of their main focuses, so much so that they're not even so much preaching the gospel anymore. They just kind of have these issues that they you know, right. preach about over and over. Of course, that's something we we want to avoid. But again, they go, that goes back to this um, the same problem. This is what the people wanted Jesus to do when he had his earthly ministry. And of course, that wasn't what he came to do. No. So he does come as a king, but he also comes as a prophet and a priest as well, right? Right. And, right. and as a king, um, what, what sort of kingdom is this? Yeah. Maybe that should be the focus of our discussion for uh, the rest of the evening. I, I did have one reading from uh, Gerhard that kind of sheds a little bit of light on this, and we can talk about it. But do you mind if I go ahead and no, read please. this? This is from uh, Gerhard's uh, treatise on Christ from his uh, theological uh, commonplaces. He says, Christ's royal office is that by which Christ, the God-man, governs all things in heaven and earth and especially protects his church against its foes. That kingdom of Christ is considered either in this life or in the future life. In this life, it is called the kingdom of power or of grace. The kingdom of power is the general dominion over all things, namely the governance of heaven and earth, the subjection of all creatures, dominion in the midst of his enemies, whom he represses, coerces, and punishes, etc. The kingdom of grace is the specific operation of grace in the church, namely the sending, illumination, and preservation of the apostles, evangelists, teachers, and pastors in the church, the gathering of the church through the preaching of the gospel and dispensing of the sacraments, regeneration, renewal, illumination, and sanctification of believers through word and sacraments, the application of his merit, the protection and preservation of the devout, and the outpouring of various gifts. So he, he offers us a couple of helpful distinctions here. Um, this distinction between um, uh, a kingdom of power and the kingdom of grace. I really like this distinction because we tend to focus on the this kingdom of grace, right? The things that we just mentioned, the preaching of the gospel, preparing the pastors, things that um, he helps the church do in this life through the ministry of the church. Now, what we don't often talk about is this um, kingdom of power, as Gerhard calls it. And um, perhaps that's an interesting thing to discuss tonight. Uh, in what sense can we call Christ king of the universe right now? Um, there are some Lutheran churches who celebrate this commemoration, usually toward the end of the church year, uh, called uh, the Feast of Christ the King of the Universe. Um, there are some Lutheran churches I've been a part of have celebrated it. Some haven't. I think it's a pretty new uh, liturgical invention. Christ, Christ the King Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So the the big question you're really asking is how how is he a king? In what way? Exactly. So Gerhardt breaks it down to two different things, doesn't he? This kingdom of power. So if Jesus is God in the flesh, he's still God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He, you know, if you read through the Old Testament, how he, he uses governments and armies to, to, to work his will and his way. So, and, and, and even though his people and, and we today 
might not know how God is working or why he's doing certain things, that doesn't change the fact that he's still working and doing things and controlling events of history. Right. Uh, controlling things. But 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 in the in the midst of that, the, this have to remember that we have this freedom to do what we want to do, this freedom of will, which is bound and broken. It's it's been soured by our fall, but we are still free creatures. The beautiful thing spiritually is that God renews our will so that we we want to follow him and we believe in him. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that God is still in control of all things. Right. Even though he allows us to have certain freedoms, which, you know, that's part of being human. Right. The way God made us is to have free will. But he's still controlling things and still upholding things. And, you know, he literally upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right. Now, that's one aspect of his power. But then the other point that Ger- that Gerhardt mentions is his rule of grace, which is the work of the Christian people, the work of the church, proclaiming the gospel, baptizing, uh, training pastors and other people to to share the gospel. All that, all that, all that word stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So for the Christian, what we really emphasize and focus on is that Jesus is the King who rules by His word. Mm-hmm. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. You know, all this this whole idea uh, that Jesus rules in the believer's heart by operation of the Word and the Holy Spirit. So he's he's our king. He's our king. Right, right. And so, um, and so right, I, I kind of see a tension here between how we typically talk about Christ's dominion here on earth and um, perhaps some of the kingship, ele- kingship elements we've just been talking about. So it's common for us to say that like um, Satan is like the prince of the world, right? But as Luther liked to say, he's still God's devil. Yeah, yeah, I right? like that. Right. Yeah, like he's he's. Some people make the mistake of almost equating him with, you know, you've got the bad angel and the good angel on your shoulder type of thing. Yeah. No. Good Friday, Jesus beats the devil. Right. Okay, and he's right. he's he's never as or or more powerful than God, but yeah, he is referred to as the prince of this world, and a lot of that's because so many people fall into the trap of loving the things that Satan wants them to love. Mm. Right. And the things that Satan wants us to love are things that draw us away from God. That's why they're, we call them sin and why they're harmful. It's like poison for our soul. Right. And, and the devil's, he's selling poison or giving it away. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or he gives, he gives you the first hit, then gets you hooked. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, um, in our reading, Christ mentions that his kingdom isn't an earthly kingdom. Um, it, it's a heavenly one, right? But I, I think there's a danger of us understanding that to mean that Christ has no dominion over the earthly world. That That's one way this can be construed. And um, one, one thing that came to mind as we were preparing for this, uh, during one of the Christmas services my family often attends, around Christmas time, uh, they sing the hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah. And there's a line in there where they they say, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And uh, you mentioned that that's actually a quote from Revelation. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting that we sing that at Christmas time, because I think 
it's common to picture the beginning of Christ's earthly reign as the incarnation. Like that's the, the time that it started and kind of continues even to today. Right. Because he comes as the king. Mm -hmm. So when he rules in the believer's heart, he's, he's, he, you know, he's the king of me. He's the king of my heart. And I think it's okay to sing it during Christmas time to think about the the infant baby Jesus who is king of king of all, king of mm -hmm. all, king of you, king of me. Where now in Revelation though, that's sort of the 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 fulfillment, the realization of his kingdom when you know at the last the last days, right? The last day, the last time, right? Where then the kingdom of this world is is God's because we get the new heaven and new earth. We we get the final judgment. We get the the resolution to all these problems, and then his kingship is is something that we can see and experience in a different way than the way in which we see and experience it now. Right. But right. but what changes? Well, for us, not much, right? No, for the for the Christian, right? What do you think? What do you think of that for the Christian? For the Christian, um, yeah. Nothing really. No, because if if he's my king and I'm and I'm his daughter or son, then that continues whether we whether we realize it and can see it physically, or whether we know it by faith. It doesn't change the fact that one, he's our king; two, he rules on all things on our behalf; three, he will keep us safe and and take us to be with him and keep us with him forever and ever. So the realization of the promises may happen on the last day. But what we New Testament people understand is that the, the realization or the fulfillment of the big promise came about on Good Friday, mm. Easter Sunday. That's God fulfilling promises. So yeah, at the end of at, on the last day, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take me home. And then I get to see him, you know, face to face, that type of idea. But for the most part, uh, nothing changes. Right. That's that's a really good point, and that's something that I think, at least personally, I I neglect in my personal thought. We we tend to think that at the last day Jesus will come and set himself up as a king, and that's really when his kingship is going to start. But for believers, uh, you know, we're subject to his kingship right now. He's our king, right? And he rules us uh, through his word, and um, gives us these gifts of faith. And but yeah, like you said, for us, uh, not much is going to change for the believer. No, he did set he up comes. his. Gonna... He did. He did set up his his kingdom when he was born, and and then he rules in our hearts when he calls us to faith, and then when he comes back, that kingship, that kingship, that kingdom. I'll make two one word out of two. <laughs> uh, his kingship and his kingdom uh, sort of get uh, revealed for what they really are, and and then that carries on for eternity. So basically, what we've just said, well is that it's all really good news and that as Jesus acknowledges the fact that his kingdom is not of this world that it, then, and we understand it's a spiritual kingdom, but as he's saying those words, he's allowing himself to be crucified, to be judged guilty and then hence crucified for our benefit. Right. Yeah. Right. The king lays down his life for the subjects. And that goes back to something you have said over and over. All authority in scripture is for the benefit of those 
being governed, right? And not the one who holds the power, right? Right. And here Jesus is the king of all. And he uses that power and authority to bleed and die. Because as God bleeding and dying, and as the perfect sinless man bleeding and dying, it's beneficial for all people of all time. Right. That's beautiful. It is. Okay. It is. And so, yeah, it's kind of an odd time in the church calendar to reflect on the kingship of Christ, but those themes really do present themselves in in what we just read. And uh, not only Christ asserting himself as king in front of Pilate, but... It's also interesting that Christ also said that he kind of acknowledged Pilate's earthly authority, but said, you know, you wouldn't have this unless it came from above too. Right. That's kind of the other thing going on here. And that clue, that goes back to what Gerhardt said about, you know, this kingdom of power and grace. We, we in the church understand that God um, maintains order in the world for the benefit of his church. And here um, Jesus is allowing Pilate to govern in a certain way for the benefit of his church. Right. Where we would think, well, just strike him dead, Jesus. <laughs> right. Right. right? And, yeah. and stop that. But here God, you know, God is always committed and dedicated to the well-being of his, of his children. And so he does rule all things. And he, 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 he orchestrated that moment to happen with, with the Pharisees and Sadducees, with, with Caiaphas and Annas, with the Sanhedrin with Pilate and with, with Herod. I mean, so yeah, God continues to work. Indeed. Okay. Yeah. Interesting because here he ends up, as we said, the, he's before the religious leaders. They make certain accusations about his claim to the Messiah, statements about the temple. But when they drag him before the civil authorities, they change the accusations to get, get Pilate to, to start thinking, oh, this, this guy's bad. He subverts the nation. He tells us not to pay taxes. He makes himself out to be a king. So here they're working, depending on the situation, they're accusing him in a certain way that before the court about religious things, before the civil authority about civil things, because they want him dead. Mm-hmm. And hence this idea of, well, you try him. Well, we can't. We Then they finally own up to the fact, well, we did, which they hadn't told him, because Pilate says, you try him. They didn't admit that they had, right? Be- because their goal was not to try him, but to execute him, right? I mean, they didn't want a fair trial; they wanted an execution. Yeah. So they were trying to play Pilate a bit, and he saw through it uh, to a degree. You know, you try him, probably understanding that at some level that they already had, and knowing why they had brought him there, right? To right. execute Jesus. Yeah. And through all this, we see men's evil plans ultimately worked out for good. And of course, Christ is allowing all this to happen. He, he knows what's happening and ultimately works it for our good. Yeah. All, all things work together for good for those who believe, for those who are the called according to his purpose. Indeed. Roman, Romans 8, uh, verse 28. But what, end, what ends up being this horrendous mistrial of justice and a tragic end to Jesus' earthly life, just for a couple days there, uh, of course, is of the greatest benefit for us. Right. For us. Indeed. Okay. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, Pastor, I have a collect from uh, the For All the Saints breviary. And this is actually for um, the Sunday of Christ the King, but it's appropriate given what we discussed tonight. Right. And I asked you, we have a Christ the King Sunday. Do we Do we have a Christ the Prophet Sunday? Right. Or, or Right. That's true. Or a Christ the Priest Sunday. 
Yeah, I, I know we've we've emphasized these three offices of Christ uh, earlier in our devotions, but uh, it's true. Uh, Christ the King is the one that's emphasized in the church calendar. We don't have these other two. No, I, we maybe we should start our own church calendar and insert them. <laughs> yeah. But 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 they're really tied together in a way, though, aren't they? Because the King rules through His Word, right? So the King operates as the prophet, and the message is all about his priestly function. Mm-hmm. Okay? So they're That's inter- a good point. They're inter- intertwined and they're important. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have a you yeah. have a collect? I do. Okay. All right. Almighty and merciful God, you break the power of evil and make all things new in your son Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. May all in heaven and earth acclaim your glory and never cease to praise you. We ask this through your Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.